if you do anything long enough in a sport, you will have those roadblocks as we talked about before. And that's really where the why comes in is that getting through those roadblocks requires a why that is positive. It requires a why that's internal as in it's not determined by um, external factors um, like comparison or performance and um, is really motivated by just the joy of the process and the joy of, of waking up and being consistent over time. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of some of the world's leading athletes, industry experts, and entrepreneurs. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, and visit ProKit, where we bring together the best interviews, podcasts, and articles in a new platform for athletes. I'm your host, David Swain. All right, so we are here um, for the common threads with David Roche and Dr. Megan Roche. Uh, rather than read off what you both have done separately, I thought it's fun to put the two together, which is a, a fun pair of seven time national champions between the two of you, nine time team USA. We've got two trail runner of the year. <laughs> and, uh, and then outside of your running life, for me, it's really interesting just to see the progression, you know, academically and on the work side. Um, you know, David uh, studied, he has his, a master's in environmental science and a law degree from Duke. Megan, so you studied neuroscience at Duke, it looks like, and an MD from Stanford, an MBA from Duke as well, and now getting your PhD in epidemiology. Is that, is that, uh, I capture you guys accurately on the the academics yeah i did a uh, actually my M- the the mba thing i did was a, a master's in management studies but it's kind of like the first year Similar. of an mba yeah allowed yeah. me to run track for a year <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and i think it's important to clarify that the bulk of those achievements were megan no and like no. <laughs> she's like uh i'm like the the fresh sprig of parsley on top at the end that's and right she's like the actual dish <laughs> well, well you need both so true. you can't a good dish doesn't go well without the parsley on top so <laughs> <laughs> you better believe it that's i'm bringing right. the greens and i'm bringing it that is right um and also the two of you have you know co-authored the happy runner which came out in 2018 um which i encourage everybody to check out and and now um are really highly regarded through the running trail running ultra worlds as um, really coaches that have brought the community together and given so much back through um, through what you share both with your athletes and with the broader running community so welcome to the show and I like to start with my hard question of the day which is uh, what did you both have for breakfast this morning that's it. I love that question. Um, well, mine is easy because mine doesn't change very much. I've recently been on a toaster waffle kick. Um, so I had classic multigrain toaster waffles this morning with very hearty amounts of maple syrup. And I am a big children's cereal fan. So I had some peanut butter puffins, which are possibly the most delicious snack on, on the planet. Um, and then we both had a substantial amount of coffee to go along with it. That's very true. Yeah, you can get the culinary theme of our family, which <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> a lot of children's food. <laughs> food. Food is a big part of our lives. That's awesome. I uh, my kids have never had like real proper children's cereal. Um, 
we've neglected them. And um, ever since this pandemic started, we are now on a on a kick to make sure we try everything that I had as a kid by the time this is done. <laughs> I love that. I think that's an amazing thing. I'm personally a fan of Lucky Charms, actually, and I have a thing for just going through and picking up the marshmallows, but you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <That is right. laughs> and, we- you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, like, it's a, it's, everyone talks about it, but there's a reason. Make sure Cinnamon Toast Crunch is a part of your life if you're listening with whatever milk form you have i feel like (laughs) cinnamon toast crunch with like the the cinnamon swirlies and the milk oh it's so good that's awesome yeah we started with lucky charms and fruit loops is up next and we'll see where we go after that let's see where where to start i mean i think on the um a little bit on your story and both like how you made your way into running the intersection of kind of career aspirations and, and where that's landed you both on the, on the, you know, the coaching side and what you do outside of that. Um, it'd be good to just understand how you, how you both got here, like, especially on the, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I can start on that one. So I grew up playing a lot of sports, um, soccer, field hockey, basketball, and ultimately went to college to play field hockey. Um, and I always knew that I loved running. So like when I was a field hockey player, I, I got pumped to be on the line doing wind sprints. And so after I wrapped up field hockey in college, I actually took a fifth year to run track and cross country. And that was really my first journey into running, even though I dabbled a little bit in high school and met David during that time. And we found trail running together. I think, I think for me, I loved track, but something about like being able to connect with nature out there on trail runs and, um, having the time to play in the mountains together was something that was so meaningful. Um, and that's how I found my way into trail running. And then, um, David actually coached me through that and that led to the developmental spot, but I'll let him talk about his football, <laughs> his football background uh, before I continue. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's similar backgrounds there though. Just like the partially comment, like, you know, Megan was a superstar field hockey player and I was a middling football player that went to college to play football um, and quit that. And then eventually had always wanted to think about endurance sports. Um, and so I, I always remember my first run when coming, coming off football, my first endurance attempt, and I barely got all the way around the block before I had to stop and I was sore for days. And um, so it took, it took a while. Um, and fortunately for me, I met Megan right as I was starting to get a little bit more like serious about what it meant to pursue your potential in these sports and like really researching everything I could. And, you know, she's so, so brilliant that it was like having, a textbook next to you that like also loves you and supports your growth. So, um, you know, we both got in, got like more serious, like serious and hopefully a playful way at the same time. And where did that take you? So the, from, from kind of finding running to competing and reaching the levels that you, that you did, what did that process look like? Like how fast of a ramp up was that? I think so for me, and I think also for David a little bit too, there was a lot of trial and error in that process. Um, so I think both of us love exploring like different training methodologies and trying different things. And I think we certainly tried a lot of those on ourselves. And I think that kind of stoked our curiosity for coaching. Um, but I think on the trails, like we've tried all different kinds of things in terms of speed work and long runs. And um, yeah, so I think we've definitely had a hearty mix of, you know, some successes on the trails, but most of those are also coupled with fails, which have been equally as fun. Yeah. And like in terms of a timeline, so I would say I picked up running pretty much, from, I mean, I was a sprinter, but pretty much from scratch in 2006. 
and started to realize like potential trajectory by 2012. And I think that that's like the type of thing for anyone thinking about exploring your potential, you got to give it time. Um, you know, if I, I remember back in like 2010 or 2009 thinking, okay, this is around what I'm capable of. I can never be one of those people or whatever. And I'm so glad that I was too stubborn to, to, to accept that. Um, and, you know, Megan has improved all the time too. So, and it's something we see all the time in coaching, whether it's related to running or other things, it's like the, your true capabilities lie so far on the distant horizon that, um, you know, you get to the first horizon and realize another one's waiting beyond. That's a good, uh, that's really interesting that the lifespan of, of each person kind of as an athlete and finding what you are, what your potential is like, talk through what you've seen both with yourselves, but you know, maybe just even with the, the network of athletes that you're part of and that you coach, um, the progression of figuring that out for yourself and what are the most common roadblocks you see that, that stop people from getting there? So, I mean, I think the big thing is a lot of the times, if you think about the sheer time and quantity of work it takes to explore your potential in anything, it's so daunting. So, you know, it starts with small actions that add up to really big actions over time. And most athletes or most people, not just athletes, like you reach some point in that process where the self-belief foundation gets shaken. And that's where the roadblocks start to hit. So like for a runner, maybe they build up to 50 miles per week for the first time and they get a, a fractured tibia or something. Um, and then they're like, well, I guess I'm not able to do more than 50 miles a week. When in fact, that's like that injury is a part of the growth process, just like successes are. Um, maybe that athlete that was doing 50 miles a week is actually capable of doing a hundred eventually if they were patient. And that's where their true potential would lie. Or maybe it's, it's not. So in other words, um, you know, those crises of self-belief that we all face in anything we care about, um, you have to overcome probably a hundred of those to start to start to touch what you're capable of. And so that's what I think we view our role as partially as coaches is, you know, uh, shepherding athletes through that process and helping them understand that this like resolute, stubborn self-belief is not just like, it's not something you can take or leave. It's the only option. Yeah, I love that. I also think speaking to the roadblock point, I think that was a really interesting idea that you brought up that what we try to emphasize with athletes and we coach a range of athletes. So we coach anyone from like, you know, top level professional trail runners, to people who are just starting out with running is that roadblocks are common across the board. If you push your body hard enough in training, if you really truly reach your limits, you will have roadblocks, whether that's injury, whether that's burnout, whether that's, um, you know, just feeling a little bit mentally fatigued. And I think normalizing that for athletes and just saying, Hey, this is part of the process. This is part of what's going to help you grow as a runner. And part of what, like, you know, is one of those amazing things about running that also transfers to life, I think is something that I've really learned and, and latched onto over the years. So on the self-belief side and on roadblocks, it's really interesting. Um, I was going to get into this later, but since we have people on who understand Megan on the, on the science side and genetics, like how much of the self-belief thing is connected to you believing that you weren't 
you know, maybe you weren't meant to be, you don't look like the person next to you who's running really fast or the person who beat you in that race. And that you're thinking that it's actually, you're at a genetic, um, you know, handicap and is from the science perspective, how much, how much can you, you know, finding someone's true potential, um, how much of, how much do genetics play into that? That's a great question. And I, it's actually one that we're still continuously exploring in the scientific community. So I actually do a lot of work on genetic predictors of sports injury. Um, so figuring out essentially people's genetic predisposition to certain types of injury. But I think genetics also applies to, as you nailed it, performance. It applies to, um, I, I think actually there's probably even genetic predictors of self-belief, you know, like your set point in terms of where you stand and capabilities of believing yourself. And of course, all of those things can be modified with the environment over time. But I think for runners who are coming into the sport, I think it's helpful to avoid that comparison trap and understanding that genetics are genetics. Like we all have different genetic gifts. And for some people that may be running, for some people that, that may be other things. And I think really getting to the point of working with what you have and harnessing that self-belief to turn out that consistency over time and truly maximizing your genetic potential through that consistency. And the way Megan explained it to me that ha has been super helpful in trying to talk to athletes about it is when we talk about genetic talent for running, we're actually talking about a thousand different variables, 10,000 different variables, some of which we know and others, which we don't. So like think about VO2 max, which has, a, you know, probably its own several dozen sub variables from like capillary formation to oxygen processing and all that stuff. But think about like, even if we summarize in VO2 max, some people will have a very high talent for VO2 max. Um, others might not, but then if you look at, you know, all of those thousands of variables, all of us are talented in some of them. And those will only come out with work over time. Um, you know, the environmental context of what you're doing and, um, you know, so yes, it might not lead to a VO2 max of an Olympian, but that doesn't mean you can't be a total freaking boss, um, I, you know, as long as you use the talent you have. And the thing with those talents is that almost all of them just take time and patience and self-love to fully shine. It's never something that, it's rarely something that shines naturally. Um, and that's where the fun comes in. That's where, that's where the joy of the process comes in is, is, actually exploring those limits. And you've talked in the book about, you know, finding your why, right? And on that, so how do you approach the, the I mean, maybe how, how you both have found your why, both as athletes and as the career you've built around it. Like, talk us through the approach you use, because that, that consistency over time, like the all of these factors and things coming in that you're, you know, you need to take account for so that you can understand what your strengths are. Um, the process that, that you use either for yourselves or for your athletes to, to actually notice those strengths and, you know, not get stuck on the one thing that you're not good at. Um, yeah. Talk about that. That's a, that's a great point. And I think it actually gets back to some of the, the dialogue we were having before about roadblocks is that, if you do anything long enough in the sport, you will have those roadblocks as we talked about before. And that's really where the why comes in is that getting through those roadblocks requires a why that is positive. It requires a why that's internal as in it's not determined by 
um, external factors um, like comparison or performance and um, is really motivated by just the joy of the process and the joy of, of waking up and being consistent over time. Um, and I think for us, we try to make goals in two ways. One being um, a why that is structured in like really long-term belief. So like, what do I want to do in three years? Where do I want to be then? And then layering in shorter term focuses, shorter term wise. It's like, why am I getting out of bed today? What, what brings me joy in this day and how can I be consistent over time? Yeah. And then like specifically, I think we both have slightly different answers for that. You know, for me, I'm like, I love the philosophy end of it that, you know, running or athletics or business, it's all just kind of a metaphor for life where you get these experiences. And so giving yourself fully to that lets you have experiences in such a real and lifelong or lasting way that goes beyond the success or failure of those things. Um, you know, because it has to be bigger than like, I like running because honestly, no one likes running all the time or anything, you know, like it's a grind for reason. Some days are amazing. Megan had an incredible workout today. I'm sure she loved running today. Um, but you know, there's a chance that tomorrow she has one of her worst days or whatever. And, um, yeah. So with that in mind, like we like our athletes to have a mix of those big philosophical things, but then also the small things of, you know, the daily purpose, the cinnamon toast crunch, like all that fun stuff that gets mixed in. Yeah. I was just going to say that my why might just be toaster waffles and <laughs> syrup some days, you know, and that's like, that's, a plenty of good reason for me to get out the door um, is to come back and enjoy that with coffee. So um, it's it's really fun to have both the little and the big whys. And how much do you steer your athletes towards? Um, I mean, I used to talk about this a lot at work with my team is um, the, the importance of playing to your strengths and learning and understanding what they are, um, which it seems like in the business and work world is applies just as much as in the athletic world of actually have understanding both what you enjoy and what your why is, but also what you naturally perform well in so that you can build on your strengths rather than focusing so much on your weaknesses that they don't actually move. Um, you know, that, yeah. Yeah. And for, you know, maybe your why is to go run really fast, really long distances, but your, um, that's not your why, but you know, that's what you're naturally going after, but your natural strength is to do, um, super fast, hilly 10 Ks. Um, you know, what's the, but yeah. How do you, how do you help people if their, if their why isn't connected to what their strengths are? Well, honestly, I, I kind of like, I mean, where there's disconnects there, yeah. I say, let's explore that. I kind of enjoy that, at least for running. I mean, it's a little different for business where there's like- There's know, money at stake. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> earnings reports at the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, or even even in like, so what I, I mean, we'll say to athletes, like, we don't give an F about your race results. Um, specifically to draw them to a place where they're not motivated by what they succeed at as much as they're motivated by- what lights their imagination on fire? What makes them excited to wake up each day? What what makes them excited for the future or scared or nervous? Like all those different emotions that are interesting and make life full and tasty, you know? Um, and so I personally like athletes to do things that make them uncomfortable if that's what they enjoy or to pursue the thing that they're, per they're born for if that's what they enjoy. So yeah, I actually think when there's offset there, that's where a lot of like 
the interesting stuff can happen. And maybe even look at like my background for that. So, you know, coming from a football player that was like a power lifter and sprinter, I'm not sure long distance running is what I'm born for. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly not, it's not like I'm, you know, not born for it, but it's not, maybe not the same as like some other long distance runners out there. And to me, that's part of the fun. Like part of the fun is that some of my runs feel so bad. And I just am like, I long for the days where, you know, I used to do sprinting workouts that took 15 minutes or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think the offset's interesting. Well, I actually think that's an interesting point that you brought up because I don't see long distance running as one of your weaknesses, even though you see it as one of your weaknesses. Um, and I see that a lot with athletes that I coach is that often perceived weaknesses are not necessarily true weaknesses. They're just an avenue they haven't spent enough time exploring or haven't been consistent enough with exploring. And so I think actually those challenges are, are really unique. And in many circumstances, I think they do lead to an athlete realizing that like their weakness actually isn't a weakness. And sometimes if it is truly a weakness, they learn so much from that process that then gets applied to other areas of life too. Yeah. And where have you seen the biggest breakthroughs happen with your athletes on? Cause I, I really appreciate the, you know, the point about, um, you know, throw the results out the window, right? Like that in, 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 as part of the process, like, and, you know, enjoying the process and building that consistency. Um, but, you know, from the, there's all these beautiful things that happen when you set a big goal and you, you reach it and the result might be 10th on that list. Maybe it's the community that you built in the process. Maybe it's something you learned about yourself, but you know, for people who have really pushed themselves hard on those goals and, and set them and chased them, where do you see the breakthroughs happen for those people? Well, I think it raises a few really interesting points. The place I'm going to start though, is what happens when you do reach a really big, scary, impossible goal. And, you know, we've been fortunate to see athletes win like world championship level races when that was impossible, like the absolutely unthinkable year, a couple of years before, even the day of the race. And often that'll be accompanied by post-race depression or something like that. So, I mean, it just draws from the fact that like the big goals are amazing in and of themselves to structure the process the bit reaching or not reaching the big goals has i mean if it has any impact on happiness it might be the opposite direction of what what we'd assume rather than um you know a positive correlation and so with that in mind like where do athletes have the breakthroughs it's being able to find like self-acceptance independent of the day-to-day -day vagaries and uncertainties of life which being an athlete like really draws home. And so what we try to focus on is positive reinforcement, getting athletes to say, heck yeah, I'm awesome on not just the days they have breakthroughs, but the days that they're not, or they're injured or all these other things, because that's where, you know, once they give themselves that space, it's where they also have the space to truly grow to their potential because they're not constraining themselves anymore. That's beautiful. You stole basically all of the points I was going to say, <laughs> but I think the way I like, I actually like thinking about it in terms of, it's almost like putting training bricks in a wall with self-belief is the process of like showing up and being like, Hey, I got this. So the process of showing up and truly believing in yourself isn't something that you just wake up in the morning and it happens because you truly will it. It's something that, you know, takes proving to yourself over time. It's like you stack little belief bricks in that wall. Um, and it takes time to be able to step back and see the full extent of the wall 
also very similar to like training for a marathon. And so I like thinking about it that way. It's just like the incremental value of self-belief. And that happens just from showing up and being consistent from going out and hitting a workout or, you know, from showing up and racing strong. And, um, I think working with athletes through that process has been something that has been a lot of fun for me. And showing up and failing. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think yeah, that, yeah. that, and that, realizing that it doesn't change. Yeah. I think yeah. that's probably the biggest part of all is whether we're talking about running or businesses or anything else, like, um, you know, if we, if we delve through our lives that aren't running, it's full of things that felt like the most immense failures in the moment. Um, and that, then is, you forget about them two days later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even if you don't like, yeah. that's just where the good stuff happens. Like that's where you stress test the self-belief that you're trying to build. Um, so it doesn't mean that you believe in yourself the moment you fail. It means that you can bounce back from that moment because, you know, the reason that failure seeking out failure is a cliche in places like Silicon Valley is because it's so true. Like the people that can, every single super elite athlete we coach is a pro at failure. And if they weren't, they never, ever would reach where they've gotten. Yeah. And so you brought up something on the consistency piece, um, on how that important, how important that is to get out the door and, and keep that progression moving and the process moving. What, you know, the, I mean, it's really, that's, it's, that part can be the hardest for people is like maintaining that consistency. How do you help your, your athletes? And, you know, what do you do for yourself to, to stay on that when you don't want to get out of bed or you're dealing with something? Yeah. And you're, you're not in that right headspace. How do you get back to it? Yeah, I think there's a few different points. And um, I think talking about this is so helpful. I think for me, I normalize the fact that consistency is hard, that, you know, getting out the door to run every day is not easy. And once you embrace that, I think it actually helps a little bit in the process. Then I think the other things for me are just keeping things as fun and playful as possible. So going out and trying to mix up my running route or turning on some sort of ridiculous song and doing a little dance before I run some sort of way to bring that element of play into things for me, I know is so helpful. And then finally is just kind of rewarding myself along the way. Um, so taking the time to celebrate the consistency, whether that's with toaster waffles or wine or whatever your delight of choice is, I think, you know, having that incremental reward along the way is something that can be um, valuable. Yeah. And to add to that, like consistency being small amounts being plenty. So we'll say to athletes, five or 10 minutes, if that's all you got or all you have in you is fine. If you can just run up and down the stairs at your work in your work clothes for one day, totally great. Like just keep adding little bits. I mean, a prototypical example is I coach an author, um, Katie Arnold, who wrote this amazing book, Running Home. Um, you should buy it if you're listening. Um, but she's you know writing writing another book. And it's like, you just do a few sentences a day and that's a book pretty quickly. And that's the way everything works. So yeah, there are days where you'll write 2000 words, maybe, but those don't, those aren't necessarily a choice. What is a choice is writing a sentence or writing a word or moving forward like that. And so, um, you know, not having it be a binary situation of the perfect day or zero, having it be Every day is that little brick that Megan was talking about. And each one of those little bricks is just as freaking awesome as the big, huge brick that kind of flew out, uh, flew out of you and flowed naturally. Mic drop. I like that. That's awesome. 
That's very cool. I just interviewed a pro snowboarder named Jeremy Jones who started Protect Our Winners, and his entire theme of his life was everything is just one little step at a time. Um, and he didn't even realize, I don't think he was saying that, but that was the, that was the through line, um, with everything that, that holds us back is like just taking that one step. It could be a small one some days and a big one the next. That, that was awesome. Um, that's, that's beautiful. I've actually recently given everything going on, have been channeling the mantra relentless forward progress. And sometimes that's relentless forward ish progress because, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm progressing very far, but I totally agree with that sentiment sentiment and love the idea. Um, on the coaching side, so we talked a little bit about this um, when we first caught up and um, and I was asking you both, you know, what sort of systems and methodologies and kind of the gizmos and gadgets you're using to to coach these elite athletes. And, and your response was, um, we just use a spreadsheet. And um, can you talk about that, like the simplicity that you bring to your coaching and, and the decisions you've made and how you communicate? Well, first, it's a sexy spreadsheet. <laughs> like, it's, color, it's color coded. It's like <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't we shouldn't down, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, our thing is what matters is communication, um, is a, a a context that allows people to feel totally vulnerable, totally honest, totally heard. Um, and I don't care about the numbers. I care about how someone feels. And so whatever, whatever allows that um, communication of feel without noise getting in the way, you know, so the noise will block out the signal if we're focusing on GPS files too much. So we do some of that, but we want to downgrade it from the focus of what we're doing to just a kind of like a side hustle of what we're doing. So our, for us, it's every single day we expect our athletes to update their training log, not just with what their workout was, but how their life's going, anything else that's relevant. Um, and we respond every day and it means a lot of, a lot of work, but it also means a lot of really meaningful relationships. I mean, in some, I, you know, Megan is the best at this and some of her athletes, like, you know, the amounts that they'll write to her because, you know, she's there for everything. And so I think that's what we're all looking for in mentors or whatever is someone that, is there, gets it, understands, and, you know, believes in us that then lets us make those leaps of self-belief ourselves. I also think too, so we coach a lot of athletes who are doing amazing things in life outside of running. So we coach doctors and teachers and super moms who are hustling to chase kids around the house every day. And um, for me, I think I view coaching and training as um, just related to life. So they, they go hand in hand. And I think balancing and understanding someone's life stress is so important for me when I'm thinking about designing workouts for athletes. Um, and having the ability to have that like full dialogue in the spreadsheet, as opposed to like looking at GPS files or, you know, simply going by RPE or something like that. I think for me just, um, really helps inform my coaching style. Well, it sounds like you have some, some, um, fortunate athletes who get to work with you because that's a rare thing. And, in, in I think in life is finding people who understand kind of the long game. And if you fall off mentally, then all your little training for a few months is not going to, not going to do you much good if you can't make it for the, for the long game. So that's <laughs> well, really special I mean, to, that you do it that way. To jump in on that though, like, I think, you know, I, I was, as I was formulating this in my head, I'm like, 
that's lame. But we're the lucky ones a lot of the time. And I'll, I'll give it a specific example. So, you know, I've been coaching this woman named Allison Barr for almost four years. And um, Allison, brilliant. She, when, when I started coaching her, she was working at Uber. And, um, you know, I got to see this, this transition that she went through in life and where she decided to shoot her big shot and join this company called Fast as a C- COO, like a very early stage startup and co-founder. And they just did a $20 million Series A and a Series A funding round. And, you know, when, when I, congrat- I posted the TechCrunch article and congratulated her, she commented on it something like, oh, well, thanks to my life coach, David. And I was like, Allison, the things you have done for me along the way, I specifically remember one time three years ago where I was feeling vulnerable myself as a coach um, and, you know, related to something that was happening online. She stepped up and like a mama bear just started throwing haymakers on my behalf. And I'm like, you know, the amount that that has meant to me in the time since, um, you know, so in other words, we don't coach for friends, but it's this pleasant byproduct of what we get is some really close friends. Yeah. That's really special. Uh, on the, you know, the mind side, that's also interconnected. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about just, you know, things like post-race depression that do seem very real from everyone I know. Um, you finish chasing something and then it ends and, you know, you can be in a spiral after that, but also people who come into this, into the sport or in life in general, who actually have, you know, sustained mental health issues. Um, you know, how, uh, mindset, you know, how do you handle it when there, cause there's the, there's like the falling off the wagon times where you just go through rough spells and then there's like the sustained stuff. And, um, you know, how many athletes that you guys have coached or through just through the industry, like, where do you see, are we making progress? Are there, again, back to the roadblock phrase, like, are there roadblocks like systematically that, um, that we can, as like a society and people who support the sport can help, um, you know, unwind. That's a beautiful question. And I think, I think for us, what we see across the board with athletes is that mental health issues are so common, whether they're more mild or more severe or even clinical in that sense. And I think being, I think we've made a, we've made great progress as an athletic community, being willing to talk about them. Amelia Boone, for one example, she has opened up beautifully about dealing with mental health issues. And I think she's, we've seen in SWAP that she's just inspired so many people on our team and has kind of set the stage for being open about talking about these things. For me, I think the biggest roadblock that I see surrounding mental health is ability to reach out for help. Um, I think reaching out for help either within the community or with a a therapist is something that's just so powerful um, and kind of like starts that journey of self-acceptance and unconditional self-love. And I wish more people would have the the willingness to ask for help. Um, We actually, we have a great we're lucky in SWAP that we have a, um, a mental health um, counselor, Danielle Snyder, who does a lot of therapy work with our athletes. And it's great to be able to have her as a resource to refer athletes to. Yeah. And not being okay is okay. Like it's a part of the human experience. And for some people it's, you're born with it and there's nothing you can do for other people. It's just part of what the universe looks like through their eyes some of the time. And all of it 
can add to the beauty of the whole experience. It just means that like we need to figure out ways to give it context to find to be able to find self-love through, you know, maybe a pair of instead of rose colored glasses, like poop colored glasses or whatever, whatever you're dealing with in the moment. So um, what we really want to do with our athletes in particular is just have them know that it's okay. We can talk about it. And even at the lowest moments, like, like it'll, it's not something to ever be ashamed of or, or scared to talk about because this is just part of being human. And I often, I also say to athletes too, that sometimes it's just a byproduct of really caring deeply and being brilliant. So we see a lot of truly brilliant people who are empathetic, who struggle with these issues. Um, and it's simply because they're just thinking it's like their brain is in overdrive. And I think normalizing that for athletes and, um, kind of reflecting on that has been helpful. Yeah. And I'm not sure when this comes out, but given that we'll probably be in the pandemic whenever it comes out, um, you know, months later, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 2023, yeah. um, you know, this, this particular time is perhaps like making it more of a, like a widespread and shared issue than it ever has been. And so I think that, this, that that's one of the opportunities that's here right here as a community is okay. Now, like some of the struggles might be a little bit more like obvious, apparent, you know, availability bias, all that stuff. And so now is the time when we can be like, all right, all right, we're in this together. And when we say we're in this together, it doesn't mean we all have the same experience. What it means is that like the same exact experience from a specific sense, it means that we all have the same exact experience and that fact that we're going to, we're human and we're all going to die. And at some level, as the show, The Good Place said, our brains are screaming every second of every day about that general fact. Um, so yeah, I mean, our hope is to try to be able to bring some lightness to the conversation of about heaviness, where we're comfortable laughing about it and, and crying about it when that's required to. Yeah, that's that's great. And on the pandemic side, so um, this will probably come out in a few weeks, and um, I'm sure we'll still be in the swing of it. And um, you know, Megan, I know you've you've written some some pieces um, on this and just for kind of cutting through the noise on going outside, how hard to push yourself, like the, you know, the physical distancing requirements, you know, maybe just give us like a summary of some of, of what you've already shared on, on yeah, tips. Absolutely. So I think right now things are constantly changing in terms of um, prediction models, in terms of what um, different communities look like. I think there's a lot of variation across the world in terms of how different countries, how different even states are handling things. And so um, experiences for people are, are varying pretty widely. Um, I think for me, what I'm encouraging athletes um, to be most focused on right now is just totally erring on the side of caution with everything. I think um, doing that both for the sake of um, keeping your own personal immune system strong, but also just to support a strong and healthy community. Um, you know, it's avoiding putting yourself in situations that may cause spread is just important for protecting our entire athletic community. So encouraging people to social distance, encouraging people to think long-term in terms of, um, you know, just not pushing the long runs, not pushing their bodies too much right now. And then just being really cautious on the trails. And finally, just being kind to everyone. Like, I think there's, I think we're all collectively experiencing so much stress that like a little bit of kindness on the trails or a little bit of kindness out there when working out goes, goes a long way. 
Yeah. The kindness piece is so important. Um, and this is, you know, you connect that to whether it's fake news or 50% fake news, or, you know, there's new studies all of the time saying X, Y, and Z that makes it so that, um, you know, last week it was, uh, the, the Danish study that said you needed to be like 50 meters or 20 meters from people when you're outside running that, you know, those things can create like some friction when you're outside because there's different belief systems. So that kindness part is, is a big deal. Um, but also it's a big, like on just trying to understand the facts, um, you know, where do you turn for, you know, getting information you can trust or where would you point people to? And we can share links to articles that you've, you've shared in the past too. So yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big challenges right now is that there's a lot of smaller studies coming out. Um, and in general, you know, studies that have an N or a population size of 10 are very challenging to draw conclusions from, and they need long-term validation. And I think right now there's a lot of sensation, sense, um, sensei, <laughs> I can't say yeah. that word. Sensitive, um, sensation news. Sensastic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for my cinnamon opinion. toast crunch but I think right now. A lot of this is being sensationalized, but that was what I was going for. Um, in terms of like, we're just, um, like kind of grasping onto these studies of a population size of 10. So places like the CDC, um, who the world health organization, those are all great places to go. And they generally have links to the studies. Um, and then I think whenever you're reviewing a study, just looking at, um, the sample size they used, and then also looking at whether that's been validated across other studies. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that Megan's communicated to me is that there's, there's so much uncertainty right now and there will be, and everyone deals with uncertainty differently. Um, that this is a proxy for our backgrounds and our brain chemistries. And so some people like aren't wanting to run outside right now. And that's just how they deal with it. And for other people, they're totally comfortable in those states of uncertainty or they rebel against it. And like, whatever it is, being good at a pandemic is not necessarily a trait or skill that any of us have decided to hone over time and ho hopefully don't need to hone in the future. So um, that's why part of the reason, you know, give kindness because kindness is everything, but also give kindness because you never know what someone's bringing into whatever their decisions are. Um, so, you know, unless they're objectively intentionally trying to hurt people, maybe like some of the, the particularly vitriolic protests, like as long as it's not that, then let's cut let's cut us cut everyone slack about everything we possibly can well said okay and on the um getting more onto the actual performance side of things just to c capture some of your kind of learnings and recommendations and um maybe we'll start with um i think it's interesting just having someone who understands the science here is where have where has training, nutrition, kind of like athletic performance progressed in the last five to 10 years? And are there any indicators of new trends or, you know, where, where will we be five to 10 years from now that could be slightly different? 
That's a great question. Yeah, I think science is totally exploding in terms of like the exercise physiology world. And then honestly, even like the mechanical side of things like footwear and things that, you know, um, play into that as well, certainly looking at like the 4% shoes and that whole topic. Um, I think this actually gets back to the topic um, before of epidemiology and the pandemic is that it's also important when looking at exor- exercise physiology and scientific studies in this area to really evaluate the population size that people are, um, you know, evaluating and also the long-term duration. It's very challenging um, in an exercise physiology study to determine, you know, what happens when you stack this intervention over time. So most studies are looking at, like, these are the gains that happen across a few weeks or a few months. But what I care about as a coach is how are these gains stacking up in the long term over years? You know, what happens when you take this intervention and apply it over years? And so that's actually where I see a big downfall in the science. And I think we need more science that has larger population sizes and then also longer durations of follow-up. And I totally agree. Like, I, as she was saying that, I was over here, like, um, like someone in a talk show audience, like pumping my fist. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting as a coach and as, you know, someone that cares deeply about the science of this stuff is just like, I only care about how someone can progress over three years, five years, whatever, like actually start to explore their true limits. And what that means is starting to be uncovered more and more. And because of that, often what's most interesting is not necessarily a small study that then drives training philosophy. It's to look at existing training philosophy and then see if studies validate that over time. And that's starting to be what we're seeing a little bit more. Coach Steve Magnus has a lot of interesting stuff on this about, you know, the the validated empirical um, training methodology, then informing studies later, which being the really interesting, rather than trying to develop a training philosophy based on a study which usually goes the wrong direction and isn't considering, I mean, it just has to miss variables because to isolate one variable when there's a thousand other ones that you could think of, um, it means that you're going to drop some things by the wayside. Maybe a good example being, um, you know, when, when we started our coaching, one of the things I think we were known for a lot at first were a heavy emphasis on strides and like neuromuscular stimuli. So very short efforts that were fast but not particularly strenuous, at least aerobically. Um, and, you know, I think at first we might've gotten some pushback for that. And in the years since a few studies have come out that are like, oh, actually we don't know exactly why this improves running economy so much, but it does. Um, and even though there's no aerobic benefit to it, particularly, like it doesn't increase VO2 max or lactate threshold or anything. Um, and so I think a lot more stuff like that is coming out and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see it. Can you, break down one of your favorite workouts on, on strides and for people who maybe are earlier into their running life and still learning all the lingo, um, you know, give us a, give us one of your, one of your speed workouts that you would incorporate into your, um, into your plans. So I would say don't even consider strides like a workout or whatever. So all right, let's back up just a second. Almost all running should be easy and actually understanding what easy means for you is key. But once you start going beyond that, and even if you're a very advanced athlete that focuses on hard workouts, like most athletes should probably have things like strides throughout their, throughout a typical week. And what that means in practice are short accelerations, usually 30 seconds or less on a flat or on Hills. Um, So a good example might be, 
in the context of your one hour easy run doing four by 20 seconds fast, like the, the fastest effort you can go comfortably for pe most people, it's not a sprint. It's like a long distance form. Usually it'll equate to about mile pace, maybe a little faster, maybe a little slower for advanced athletes. Um, you know, with a minute or two of recovery of easy running recovery. And it can be as simple as that, like that, you know, doing four by 20 seconds, you know, one or two times a week can actually unlock these really big running economy games at longer distances too. And then I'll add that once you have reached that point, the next level kind of becomes extending out those strides and incorporating them into more of a workout setting. Um, so something I like to bridge that gap is doing surges on um, slightly longer runs. So adding something in like one minute at 10K effort every five minutes within the context of a run is a great way to hit that next level after strides or even things like eat by one minute slightly faster with one minute jog recovery is kind of like the next bridge to the, to the next level. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one great thing about having Megan on board is we just, we gather so much data over time, even though it's not our focus. Um, and one thing is like it, the kind of intuitive thing is totally what we see behind the scenes. So like, let's say an athlete wants to run a 5k at 630 minutes per mile, or, you know, six minutes per mile or something pretty fast like that. Um, that that's probably not going to be possible unless that athlete can hit five minute pace pretty comfortably. Um, not like not, not comfortably for a long distance, but comfortably for a short distance. So that's where things like strides come in. Like there is a huge benefit, whether it's neuromuscular, biomechanical, or more like musculoskeletal to, actually being able to move fast, um, you know, the plyometric output oriented version of it. Um, and injury risk is low because it's actually not that stressful on the body. It's almost like, you know, you're a kid running across the playground at recess rather than, you know, <laughs> an adult pounding out on the track or anything. And on the injury side, so, you know, the longevity, aging, injury prevention, um, you know, whether you're a runner or you're a cyclist, are there you know, whether it's strength or mobility pieces that you really try to work in with most of your athletes, um, to make sure that they can play that long game. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to think about this in three simple points. The first one being rest days. So I think that taking one rest day a week, at least, I think sometimes, um, for people over age 40, having two rest days a week can be helpful. Um, I think for me that rest day is a key for thinking about long-term um, longevity as an athlete. I think both mentally and physically, it's great. Um, the other point I would highlight is protein consumption. So I think that having adequate protein on board is just so important for injury prevention, so important for longevity. Um, and working with a nutritionist to figure out what that level is for you can be helpful. And then I think also too, yeah, strength and mobility, really doing the little things that count over time. Um, I think those all add up. Um, and so those are my like three points of longevity. Yeah. And studies are all over the place on this type of topic, again, because you can't isolate every variable, but we have a bunch of, or we have a couple of very simple strength routines that we have our athletes do. Um, you can, if you're, if you're ever interested, you can Google them. One being three minute mountain legs and the other being eight minute speed legs, two very simple, short, strength routines you can do a couple times a week, um, to just provide like multi-directional strength. Um, and then also, I mean, I personally just seeing athletes am a big fan of foam rolling though. The science is mixed on efficacy, um, just seeing that correlate with injury and then getting to the nutrition point, making sure you're already always eating enough, whether, you know, not even going beyond macronutrients, like 
for runners, runners at least like the most important thing in training is eating enough food. And, uh, that might be more than a lot of people, uh, think, especially if, if they look at like magazine covers of runners and think that that's the goal. Um, no, the goal isn't that the goal is to find your strong. And those athletes on the magazine covers probably did find their strong looking like they look. Um, but that might look totally different for someone else. And that's awesome because that's the version of you that will be, uh, the best athlete. That's great. And we'll link to those. We'll have to get those, um, those workouts from you. We'll link to them in here. Um, on nutrition, uh, you know, you, you rec you talked about finding a sports nutritionist. Um, what about the kind of, um, I know there's not a lot of shortcuts, but the basics of where you see mistakes being made. Um, you know, you talked about making sure you're actually taking in enough calories, but what about in the types of calories people take in who are out exercising a lot and pushing their minds and bodies pretty hard? Yeah. So I think for me, one of the biggest mistakes I see is athletes who are just totally overcomplicating it. Um, so I think keeping it simple, keeping nutrition, like honestly, just listening to your intuition, listening to what your body craves, but making sure to eat as balanced, um, meals as possible. So like trying to just eat a lot of diversity. So I think right now there's all different nutrition studies out there about keto diets and every, you know, place blank word in front of diet. And there's studies out there about it. And I think, um, staying consistent, eating enough, getting enough protein and just being smart, you know, just like using your brain and, and, um, you know, keeping it simple in that process. Cinnamon toast crunch diet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it's out there as is uh, fruit loops. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think like, if you like pizza, eat pizza. If you like fries, eat fries. Like try to generally be healthy and eat and all that good stuff. You know, eat burgers if you're not a vegetarian. Eat if you are a vegetarian, eat greasy foods that are vegetarian. Like um, those sorts of things are important for health. Like every every athlete we coach at the top level, you know, we encourage them to. And, and every athlete we coach at, across the board, having fun with food is like one of the more enriching parts of life. Um, so I think that's what we really mean when we say don't overcomplicate it is like, enjoy it. And it usually, uh, if meals are math equations, they're less fun. And, uh, racing, training, nutrition, um, you know, this can also be pretty personal, but that for, for you both as athletes, um, you know, what have you learned and kind of maybe what mistakes have you made in, how you apply nutrition to pre and during post race. Yeah, I think for me, so when I transitioned from becoming a field hockey player to going on the track, I actually developed like various forms of disordered eating. I just was not getting it enough thinking that running was this power to weight equation. And, um, I, that was a, a big learning experience for me because I just honestly felt terrible during the time. It was like running up a hill was challenging, getting out of bed was challenging. And I think it reinforced for me the power of always eating enough and eating diverse foods and making it fun. And as soon as I learned that, it was like something in my brain flipped and was like, it, it totally transitioned out of that disordered eating mindset simply because I felt so terrible, to be honest. Yeah. And to like draw home why that is, uh, it all comes down to glycogen depletion. So the, essentially the amount of calories you have stored, though it's complicated what it entails in practice. Um, glycogen depletion increases cortisol, stress hormone production in the best of circumstances. And the general thing is female athletes in particular can't really 
um, perform well if they're training glycogen depleted or if they're living glycogen depleted at all. And Stacey Sims, uh, Dr. Stacey Sims wrote Roar, which is a great book on, that goes over some of these general issues. Um, and so, and for men, like, you, you know, you hear about guys that are like, I don't eat before I exercise. They can sometimes get away with that, though there's good evidence that it also decreases output over time, unless like there's people practicing very weird dietary things that lead to, you know, fat adaptation and um, that even that can only work in very narrow genetic contexts focused on ultra events. So, you know, what we like most of our athletes to do is fuel efforts that go, you know, when you get risk glycogen depletion. So longer events over 90 minutes or whatever. Um, and Megan actually uh, started coaching this this man um, named Rafal. I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> um, but it, a few years ago, and she didn't learn until like a year later that he was the CEO of this company called Spring Energy, which makes like a natural uh, gel, essentially. Yeah. Um, and across the board, our athletes have had amazing success with Spring Energy as this um, as a fueling, as a way to fuel these runs in a sustainable and fun way. So everyone from you know, pros that run might even run for other nutrition companies sometimes. So if, if you're out there and you're like, oh, well, I just don't like gels, try spring energy. And um, that's a good bridge to trying to prevent glycogen depletion without a purpose. All right. Um, so on, that's great. And I will let you guys get back to your day soon, but just a couple quick last questions. So, um, you know, you, it sounds like between on the sport side, the writing side, the coaching side, you guys have done a lot together. What have you? What are your tips um, managing a, a relationship of um, running a business together? You hear a long pause there. I know. I thought we were just like we just pointing at the head. We both just pointed at each other. I think that's part of it. Actually, though, is like respecting the other person's talents immensely. Like I, Megan's brilliance is I look up to so much, and with that in mind, like also trying to understand that her brilliance like leads her to think differently than I might think on some things. And so that's one thing I've really been working on over time and hopefully getting better and better at is like, you know, when she doesn't think the same way that I do, that doesn't mean that she's wrong or I'm wrong. It just means that, um, you know, we're coming from slightly different places and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think also too, in our relationship, we've established this baseline of kindness. So I think that, um, you know, even when we may have disagreements or even when we may not see the same way, it's like, it's always done with a foundation of kindness. And I think that like knowing going into it, that that is there is so helpful for both of us. Yeah. And it gets like possibility to laugh at each other. Yeah. I'm about to laugh at each other. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gets, she knows she can tell I'm going to like draw it out to something big. Um, so when you think about the pandemic, like behind the scenes, we're seeing a lot of relationships struggle that haven't ever struggled before. Um, and I think it draws home like a big issue of the importance of not just kindness, but, you know, there's a reason that the, whatever that, that Bible quote is that talks about that in wedding vows is patience and kindness, uh, or love is patient and kind, because, you know, if you live with someone, if you're around someone all the time, whether you're running a business or not, you're going to do things that irk the other person you're gonna like you're just not gonna be on the same wavelength sometimes and that has to be okay like and you have to be able to try to work through that together um like as a team and so uh yeah that's that's i think 
one thing we're trying to do all like all the time. And it just takes like a recommitment to it all the time too. That's great. Um, thank you for sharing and Bay area and Boulder. So you've spent time in both places. Um, talk about how they, how they compare what the running communities are like. We're, we feel so lucky to get to be in both Boulder and the Bay Area. It's honestly a dream in terms of trails. They're pretty similar, actually. Um, I think um, from a logistics standpoint, I think the, the trails in California are kind of kind of unparalleled in terms of um, ease of running. They're just like so buff and so smooth and so fast. Um, so it's nice to have the combination of both. I think in both areas, the trail communities and the running communities are um, supportive. And I think um, we're just, we feel incredibly lucky to have both. Seconded. (laughs) That was actually going to be my last question is just on community. Um, You know, what kind of what that word means to you, where you see it progressing, like where's, where's running and trail and ultra going. Um, And I don't know anything you hope that we can promising things that you're excited about that we, we need to unlock. So I would just say support and love and all that goes into that. So, you know, the scientific method is based on people proving each other wrong, essentially over long periods of time, right? Like community is based on the opposite. Like I really like when people are supportive of people and or others and, their ideas and lifting people up. Like one of our big goals now is to just try to lift up as many people as we possibly can using whatever platform we have. And so, yeah, I mean, for, for everyone that we coach and everyone listening, like trying to manifest that love in the world through whatever means you have, whether it's like smiling at someone on a trail, if you're comfortable doing that, but also cool if you're not comfortable doing that, or just trying to like be kind for the hell of it. Like those little things um, are, are really important. And I think that that's where things like social media can actually be a very a force for good if we use it that way or a force for bad if we try to use it to compare and, and tear people down that might not be exactly our worldview. I, I love that. I also think adding to that point too is using kindness and social media to help grow the the trail and mountain running community. So trail and mountain running is exploding. You see Western states, it becomes harder and harder every year, it becomes more of a, a complicated math equation to get into Western states every year. And I think being supportive in that process of people who are coming into the community and also just trying to expand to diverse communities, giving people access to trails who may not have access, whether that's geographic, um, or, or whatever, just being open to this, this massive growth. And how the progression of kind of road running and trail, where do you see those two go? Where do you see the, the differences or, um, kind of how, how they've both evolved over the last few years? I think it's totally complimentary, you know, like at the end of the day, it's just, you're, you're going out and you're playing on your two feet. And so I think over time, maybe people have started to embrace, like trails specifically a little bit more, but it's all running. And so I think that, you know, when the Boston marathon winner and the Western States 100 winner, and, you know, someone that is finishing in the back of the pack at any race and roads or trails are all viewed side by side as part of the same community that just lifts everyone up. A bigger boat's always good. Um, Whether we're talking about diversity of like skin color or diversity of surface. So, you know, let's go for it like together and let's make together as big as it can possibly be. Seconded. And I like your bigger boat analogy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, now my actual last one is I've seen some fun things happen where um, where races that were canceled are basically run virtually, either indoor, in your yard, out on the trail if you can get to it. Um, and, you know, I saw Ted King on the cycling side just announced that his uh, hashtag for um, do-it-yourself DIY gravel and the idea being take the races you were going to go do and go ride that distance and elevation gain and then post it to the group and everybody can cheer each other on. So I love seeing that stuff and it gives people something to keep going on. Um, have you seen anything like that happen or ideas for what your athletes are doing that, uh, helps keep them inspired when maybe their races have been canceled? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I think the great thing about running in particular is like, in cycling, maybe not gravel, I don't know that sport as well, but at least in road cycling, you know, it's so heavily focused on Peloton dynamics and things like that. Running is a fully independent variable. It matters a little, but it's just you out there, you know? And so finding meaning in that individual journey and then connecting it to a community, um, you can do that whether there's a race or not. So, you know, whether it's doing planning an adventure route or, um, you know, going for PRs or, just the, the like focusing on that long-term grind and, and reaching your long-term potential, which doesn't really care about this time horizon anyway. Um, all those things are valid. And so what we're really trying to encourage athletes to do is just figure out ways to go for it. Um, because that's what we, that's all we want really is this dream big and go for it mentality. And it's easier to conceptualize that around a race because they're kind of designed specifically for that but we can do it without it. Yeah. So if an athlete can motiv self-motivate without that, no need. We can just plan hard tempo runs that look like races. If they need a specific adventure, great. But whatever, whatever they do, just keep on dreaming. Absolutely. And I love too right now that these adventures, these challenges are also great ways to support local businesses and race directors who may be struggling. Um, so I know Spring Energy is coming out with a vert and uh, challenge. Um, I Run Far recently did a challenge that went to the proceeds went to charity. And um, I think it's just a great way to support the community during this time and to help support local businesses who are struggling. Great. And so where can people find find you um, on the interweb? I think the most important place is Addie does stuff on Instagram, which is actually our dog Addie, who's chilling right here through this whole podcast and shockingly hasn't barked. Um, we also, I have an Instagram, Meg runs happy. Um, and then we have a, a website swaprunning.com. And then also like Google pictures of puppies and that's, that's yeah, that will, <laughs> in, the glint of, in the glint of their eyes, you will see us. There we go. I love it. Um, and Thank you for the listeners for if there were any audio issues, um, Megan and David and, and I all had, uh, some internet issues going into this. So thanks for hanging in there if anything pops up and, um, awesome. Thank you for joining and we will see you on the trails when we can, <laughs> when the flights are back. <laughs> You're open. so awesome. Thank you. This was a really fun, you made our day. So thank you thank so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Common Threads. If you liked the show, please tell your friends and followers on social media and encourage them to tune in. You can also leave a rating or review to help new listeners discover the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you're listening on. Or send me feedback directly on Twitter at David underscore Swain. And then head over to join our new platform for athletes at theprokit.com.